Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax, audit, and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. HPU's call to action is choose to be extraordinary. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. In their current roles, both of our guests have more than a casual influence on things like economic development, community planning, public policy, even broader social and communal issues. But even earlier in their career, both held senior leadership roles as industry pace setters and insiders as well. Welcome again to the most widely watched source and the longest running on Carolina business policy and public affairs. I'm Chris William. In a moment, the heads of North and South Carolina's Chambers of Commerce, Gary Salamito and Ted Pitts, enjoying this dialogue, and we hope you'll stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Ted Pitts, President and CEO of the South Carolina Chamber, Columbia, South Carolina. Gary Salamido, President and CEO of the North Carolina Chamber, Raleigh, North Carolina. Hello and welcome again to our program. Happy New Year, gentlemen. We can still say that, right? Yeah, we can. Happy New Year. Too far, too far from that. Uh, Gary, Ted, good to have you both on the program. I, I'm not. We don't play favorites, but I would say that you two tend to be uh, one of my personal favorites because you've got your um, get your fingers on the pulse. You know what's going on in the states and the region, and uh, you know this is an interesting time. So, 2020, we have probably, and this is not overstating it to say, we've had the best economy since Reconstruction in the Civil War. What is job one? How do you make it better than this? Gary, what's job one for you this year? Oh, for, for us, it's, and when the economy is good, it's the time to tackle the toughest issues that we have to, to create a sustainable competitive advantage for our citizens, right, for jobs. So for us, it's really two things. Uh, it's how do we get the talent and the jobs matched up we got people and we've got jobs, but right now the skills aren't matching up. And infrastructure, how do we take and make the investments in infrastructure while the economy is good, not while we're under crisis? So tackling the toughest issues that require long-term solutions when things are good is gonna be a priority for us. Yeah, Ted, what do you think? You know, so workforce, to talk a little bit about what Gary did. Um, workforce is the number one issue when you talk to CEOs around South Carolina. You know, baby boomers are retiring. Who are they gonna replace that institutional knowledge and those skills with? So making sure that our education system is aligned in meeting the needs of employers. 
So if we're going to continue to grow in South Carolina, we've got to make sure that the skills gap's getting closed and that we're producing South Carolinians that can do those jobs. And then the second thing is our tax code. South Carolina's tax code um, does not is not competitive. And when you look at what North Carolina did with the chamber's leadership several years ago in making their tax code one of the most competitive in the country, and that's why Forbes says now you're the best state for business. So South Carolina, our policymakers really need to wake up and understand when they see us ranked as 16th on that list, if they take the Southeast, we're in the bottom half of the Southeast. We may be 16th when you look at the country, um, but Georgia at five and North Carolina at one. The state's got mm -hmm. a lot to do um, from a tax reform perspective, and it's really time to tackle that issue. It, it, Ted, let me, let me stay with that for just a second, because opponents of that in North Carolina, and Gary, I'll give you a chance to weigh mm -hmm. in on this, will say, Yes, but you're leaving. If if you do reduce taxes and you get what you need done in South Carolina, where do you get money for teachers? How do so, you do so that? So here's what I would tell you: um, South Carolina this year, General Assembly just came back to session, had the largest budget surplus in history with 1.8 billion additional dollars that they did not plan on having. So what I would tell you is there's enough money to do what we need to do for our teachers, as well as to make our tax code more competitive. And we're hoping policymakers will do that. I mean, there there is an effort to, and we're involved in it, to try to get teacher salaries in South Carolina to the, the national average, which would be a big push over the last couple of years. The governor's for it. Um, the General Assembly um, appears to be um, gravitating towards that as something that they need to focus on with that those dollars. But at the end of the day, we've got to make our tax code more competitive. Otherwise, we're not going to grow. And um, ultimately, the growth that we've seen is have allowed for South Carolina to move a lot forward in a lot of categories over the last decade. But um, if we want to keep up with our neighbors in the southeast, um, we've got to reform our tax code. How, how mm. does that play out in North Carolina? You've got you've already mm. got the lower taxes, and yeah. actually, General Assembly wants to go even lower. Yeah. I, I think, Chris, right now what you're seeing is uh, the lower taxes are producing more jobs, which are producing more revenue, because and communities are now going to be healthier because more people are working. Now, there's always going to be a disparity between communities, and not every place in North Carolina is equal. But by and large, the more competitive tax code that we have has had more people coming, more jobs, more expansion, more retention. So more people are in the system, right? More people are paying the tax rates that they have. So the revenues are there. Now the policy is debate is how to where are those prioritization of those revenues revenues and how do we make sure that our teachers get what they need and we make our investments in infrastructure so that we can stay competitive. You both have clearly made the point about jobs, workforce being job one, at least for at least for the foreseeable future. So Gary, stay with you and then of course Ted wait in on this. You guys don't have to wait for me to invite <laughs> you to this dialogue. Let's unpack this idea of jobs. We, we talk about there is always a shortage of good workers finding a place and connecting those, those workers with the, with the jobs. When do we hit a tipping point to where it really does become a liability for economic growth? Or we have, have we hit that already? When, and, and I'm sorry, let me That's do a, almost a rhetorical question. And if, and if the Carolinas are facing the same issue, this is not a unique issue, doesn't everyone else have this challenge? Yeah, and I think we, uh, I think we're there, right? So our chamber, the North Carolina Chamber Foundation, last year worked with the U.S. Chamber to start a program called Talent Pipeline Management, which is a demand-driven program where we look at and we are teaching people in communities how to bring companies together, how to look at the data, and how to align 
the education and talent supply systems with the needs of that community and where their jobs are. So we're at that tipping point. Businesses in their communities have to come together and begin to drive change and alignment uh, with business being the customer of the talent, the jobs being the customer of the talent. So we're there and uh, businesses have to take that on and we got to change it one community at a time, Chris, with people coming together, collaborating, the business is saying, here's what I need, and the education community aligning to provide, not only today, but for the long term what those needs are so that our, those communities in our state can continue to be healthy. So that's not a major policy change that happens in Raleigh. That's an alignment change where communities will begin to show, okay, here's where we need to be, the opportunities for changes in policies will become self-evident then and will come out of those communities that we need to do. Mm -hmm. But we need to get our education systems aligned with the demand, and we're not there right now. Is it a tipping point for you? Yes, I mean, I think we're seeing a real need to fill out skilled um, employment jobs. So skills, not necessarily a four-year college degree, things that have a skill or cer certificate or certification um, that our technical colleges can play a role in. But also, you know, when you look at electricians and welders, you know, it's funny, you go to a manufacturer and you say, what jobs are you having trouble filling? They're like, well, you know, a lot of them, but we've had an opening for six electricians for the last year, right? So when you think about those skilled workforce initiatives. You know, one thing the chamber has been really focused on, um, and we're copying our friends in Arkansas, the Arkansas Chamber, is a, a Be Pro, Be Proud initiative that we're partnering with the Department of Employment and Workforce on. Um, several industry associations, the truckers, AGC, uh, um, the home builders, the forestry association, um, we're partnering on trying to get um, kids and their parents introduced to the skilled trades because in a lot of ways those careers um, it doesn't require you to take on a lot of student debt, and you can come out making a really solid living, and there are opportunities in South Carolina that, um, that we need to fill, and as baby boomers retire, it seems like less and less of our mm -hmm. students are going into those um, fields, but, but in some ways, that's the bottleneck for us. So you, the you, know, you, you said something, Ted, excuse me for interrupting, you said something, Department of Employment and Workforce, Dan Elsey, Executive Director, was on the show last week. Um, he made a startling uh, uh, admission 1.6 million people in South Carolina, what they call sideliners. Yeah. These are people that have taken themselves out of the workforce. That's an extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary amount of people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And in some, in some ways, it could be tied back to the economy's doing well, and you know, a, a two-income household now can get by maybe on a one-income household, and and um, the, one of the parents is able to stay home with the kids. But it is a concern, you know. In South Carolina, like North Carolina, is an in-migration state. We right. continue to grow, and I, I know we both got congressional seats last time. Mm -hmm. You guys will probably get one this time. It probably in another census before we do. But in a lot of cases. That in-migration is people that have no intention of getting a job. They're coming here to retire, to enjoy our quality of life and our weather. So, um, so there is a little bit of a balance when you see the state growing. We want folks to retire in South Carolina, but they're not going to be able to help us with our workforce issue. So we've got to continue to try to make sure that we're preparing South Carolinians for the jobs that are in South Carolina because we want to keep them here. Yeah, you, know, you made mention of, uh, of the census track reading high, much higher numbers across the Carolinas. North Carolina will get a congressional district. Gary, let's, we don't have to go too deep on this, but redistricting. Mm -hmm. Will redistricting the decision or lack of decision or a decision and then it was sidelined, will that show up in this fall's election? Uh, I'm not sure if it will or not. At the end of the day, people are gonna look and they're gonna go into their communities and the candidates will be in their communities and they're gonna make a choice. So population trends happen, the communities are 
defined. I don't see it really making a huge difference yeah. in the election at the end of the day, because as Ted knows, I mean, all politics at the end of the day is local. Mm -hmm. Right, so people in our communities are going to look at who's running in those communities, regardless of where the boundaries are, and they're going to decide. Does the debate about reapportionment in South Carolina get some new uh, steam behind it? Not really, no. Um, I mean, we're, if you look nationally at, at the ways to do it, you know, there are arguments about what's the right way to do it. You know, every now and then we'll hear um, folks talk about does an independent commission need to draw our districts? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't. That's not really front and center. I don't see the general assembly. I'm readily giving up that authority. Do you see the 2020 presidential election year is going to have a meaningful impact in the states? Revenue, uh, maybe not apportionment as we talk, reapportionment, Gary, but um, is there uh, issues around Middle East unease, uh, still China trade issues? Does it show up at all this year? Um, you know, I, I think it's always going to be a moment in time, right? There's going to be things that, that show up. We just had our economic forecast forum the other day. And the economists did a nice job of saying the underlying fundamentals are strong. And so there'll be moments in time where it looks uh, uncertain, uh, but the fundamentals are strong and they're not changing. Now, the human impacts of all the different decisions that are making are true. But on trade, for example, the, uh, each economist said, you know, when you look at trade, if you're having trouble with one country, guess what? Some other country steps up and begins to, to deal with that trade piece. So uh, while the fundamentals remain strong, Trade will have an impact in the press and it'll have an impact in our discussions, but I think all in all, we're gonna remain strong. Does the trade in South Carolina, given the heavy industry in automotive and aerospace, plus Ted, Boeing, does that, in fact, does that affect the low country Boeing? Uh, no, so I think when you see the, the trade and tariff issue, you know, in South Carolina, kind of industry and statewide, people understand China's a problem and we've got to deal with China. So in a lot of ways, they understand the administration's approach there. You know, I think they're encouraged to see kind of the backing down a little bit with all of our other partners. Um, we want to continue to make sure we have free and fair trade, you know, between our European allies mm -hmm. and others. So, you know, the trade issue really has, has simmered down a little bit. And I think most companies, um, you know, want certainty and they feel like they aren't rocking back and forth with the whims of somebody. So there feels like there's a little more certainty in the situation. And, you know, it is costing money. I mean, we all know tariffs are taxes on consumers. So it is costing people money. And, um, you know, ultimately the goal should be to have free and fair trade with as many of our partners around the world as possible. Does, does the, the Boeing 737 disasters, do they, do, does that affect the, the low country operation? You know, um, no. So, I mean, if you look at the problems that they've had with the MAX and others, they're not made in South Carolina. So, I mean, I think, you know, Boeing continues to be a strong partner in doing the right, trying to do the right thing to make sure um, that the planes are safe. But, you know, end of the day, I think South Carolina Boeing is doing well. At the top of the show, we started, we started the dialogue with this being the, one of the best economies since Reconstruction. And I want to come back to this, and this is going to sound a little flippant, but I think you all will understand what I'm trying to say. It seems antithetical to say this, but as good as this economy is, do you worry about it being so good? Is it a bit like whistling past the graveyard here to say, and Gary, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but we, you know, statistics courses in college teach you that we regress to the mean. At some point, we regress to the mean. Will we eventually find some recession, slowdown, even a mild one? You know, it was interesting. Um, Kelly King keynoted our, e our economic forecast forum, and uh, also Ward and I with Mark Mayer as our chair right now, and they said something that was really fascinating, uh, and the economists were very similar. They said, we gotta be really careful not to talk ourselves into a recession. 
right? So when things are going well, uh, people begin to say, well, it's got to come sometime. And they were, they were saying, don't talk yourself into a recession. Focus in on the big challenges. Focus in on the things that can help you avoid that piece. But don't, don't talk yourself into a recession. So we have this opportunity now when the economy is good to make the investments we need to make in to make sure that the lows aren't too low and the highs aren't too high mm -hmm. for the long-term betterment of our citizens and economic security of our citizens. So now's the time to do that. So we got to show optimism. We have to show leadership. And we have to make sure that we don't talk ourselves into a recession. Has the, has the Fed achieved that economic economic uh, equilibrium that they've been trying to go for? Is this, is this what it is? So I, I think um, businesses, the business community has learned a lot from the last recession, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they have more cash on hand, um, their capital investments are more strategic and, um, and long-term mm -hmm. and, and not based on the current cycle. So I think when you look at, um, at where we are from a business perspective in our two states or in the country, mm -hmm. um, I think businesses have conservatively positioned themselves from an employee perspective or from a capital investment perspective um, that's sustainable. I mean, if you look at a country like Australia who has continued growth, I mean, it's, all, it's not always gonna be through the roof, but some sustainable continued growth, um, I think we can continue to see that happen in the South, in the Southeast, you know, least unionized states in the, in the union, um, great places to live. You know, if I was in, you know, the Midwest, I might be concerned, but in South Carolina, North Carolina, I think things look good for the foreseeable future. And we haven't talked about education. So what happens to education this year? It's a good economy, Gary, as you both said. Is this, the, I know it's the time now, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, to make investments in education, to raise teacher pay, et cetera, et cetera. But what does that really look like? What will the General Assembly do around education this year? What will the State House do around education? Is now the time, and, are, and I don't want to be too dramatic or provocative, but are we running out of time to do those things that we do while we have um, uh, flush purses? Yeah, we're in a short session this year for one here in North Carolina. Very short. Really? What, like a day, yeah. maybe? Well, yeah, they're coming in next week for a yeah. very short piece, and then they'll come back in May for the scheduled short session. And that's usually to do budget adjustments, but we don't have a budget. We're still working through that piece right now with it. So I think they'll make some... Uh, They'll make some investments. I'm not sure where and how much they'll do. And given the politics of the year and everything, I think it's going to be extraordinarily quick with it. But they will. Um, the, the key is to make sure that we do two things. One is that our entry-level teacher pay continues to be at or above the national average and grow for the long term so that the teachers that are coming in can have careers that are, are going to be there. Mm -hmm. We made those investments a few years ago, and they're continuing to pay off. And then to make sure that our, the folks that are teaching, not only are we paying them well, but we're getting out of their way, too. And letting them do what they need to do in order to make sure that they're delivering the, the, the young people from pre-K through, through 12th grade uh, the skills they need to be lifelong learners because uh, as Ted knows our young people are going to have to come in and out of the workforce for the rest of their, their lives. You know my, my kids uh, have got to every three to five years they've got to retrain because they're going to be doing something different because the rate and pace of change and innovation is so great. And the business community is adjusting. And if our education community adjusts, the resources will be there. Do you, do you specific to North Carolina, do you think that the Leandro decision and the commission that's been formed around that decision, will that meaningfully affect what North Carolina does with education dollars? Yeah, it's settled law now, right? So it's settled and it's in there and they've got to make the adjustments. So they will. And not to put you on the spot, but in South Carolina, Abbeville versus the state of South Carolina had the same judicial decision 
that there, they needed fair and judicial or equal uh, education for students, even in the most uh, poorest schools, but that still's tabled. So does that, it, the Leandro decision's a similar decision, so how much does law drive what the state assembly will do? So the General Assembly, um, the House passed a bill last year, a comprehensive education reform package. The Senate's been working on it in the off session, and they'll take it up right here at the beginning of session. I think the General Assembly will agree on some things around whether it's read to succeed, third grade reading level, not allowing kids to advance. Um, it's testing. We're trying to do less testing, like Gary said. Get out of the way and let teachers teach. We still need accountability testing, but is there a more efficient way to do that? Innovative schools, you know, forever. Um, is that a charter school? Yes, and it could be a charter school, but you know, a very it could be a district school, but it has different requirements and has some more leeway to do some different things in places where they're the toughest places to, to teach kids with poverty, high poverty, and, and issues that um, mm -hmm. are related around the family. So I think you're going to see the General Assembly pass a comprehensive education reform, but they will not have addressed the issue that really is out there for everybody to see, and that's funding. Um, and not necessarily more funding, but the way we fund our schools in South Carolina is based on the property tax. Mm -hmm. And um, the Chamber Foundation and the Realtor, South Carolina Realtors Association have partnered on a Lincoln Institute study on, on property tax system in South Carolina. The business community is, is getting more and more of that burden, making us very uncompetitive, but also looking at school funding related to property taxes. So I think at the end of the day, you know, in the near future, probably not this year, but in the coming years, policymakers are going to have to look at, at the mechanisms by which we fund our schools to make sure we don't have those inequities. Um, counties that have no tax base, if they wanted to raise taxes, they could raise them, but there's no tax base to be able to raise it across. And then you have fast growing areas right now where students are coming in, but really the way our system works right now is tax dollars don't follow the student mm -hmm. on a property tax collection basis. Mm -hmm. um, so where the industry goes is the only place that you're seeing tax growth. So, I mean, I think, you know, we're going to have to continue to struggle with that before we probably get a solution, but it's something that we've got to make policymakers address. D does read to succeed and read to achieve, do they become more important this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, reading, uh, reading, you can't read, nothing else matters, right, at the end of the day. So to continue to look at that program, what it's doing, make the necessary adjustments, yeah, it's, it's critically important that kids are reading by third grade. It determines a whole lot. Is there, is there, a, uh, is there an appetite in the General Assembly to lean into that? I think so, yeah. yeah. And I, I hope in South Carolina our policymakers don't get weak need because right now there's provision in Read to Succeed that says if a parent chooses to opt you out of being held back because you can't read on grade level, it allows that kid to advance. I mean, we've really got to, like Gary said, uh, reading is the foundation of all learning. We've got to get, whether it's early childhood initiatives, um, we've got to get kids reading on grade level before they leave third grade to go to fourth grade because we know statistics show if they advance, they're doomed for failure. So Speaker Lucas was a champion of this early on. Did, will he have the fortitude to carry through? Uh, yeah, he is um, He is for strengthening it. You know, Senator Peeler in the Senate um, has been a strong advocate and it was originally his initiative that passed. And he would tell you he didn't want the opt-out there, but he had to get it to get it to pass. But policymakers, it's time for, for them to take Read to Succeed and, and put some teeth in it and say, we're going to help you be successful, but we've got to, um, we can't advance students past the third grade when they can't read on grade level. Any, any possibility, and I say this with a smile on my face, about Medicaid expansion in, in either state being accepted? Not being talked about. No, not, not being even talked being talked about. about. Mm -mm. Okay, on to the next thing. Let me check that off. Um, <laughs> environment. We got about two minutes left. The environment. Uh, the 
Trump administration would love to see drilling off, off the shore of North and South Carolina. There's, again, is any opportunity that that may happen? No. In South Carolina, if you look at polling, um, there is less and less interest in exploring the natural resources off our coast, even though they're out in federal waters. You know, you actually probably will see legislative action. There was a proviso put in the budget, but you'll see legislative action. Protecting against pr it. Protecting against it, like a not allowing um, facilities to be built on the coast, on state land, or on, along our coast. Um, so. I, I don't see it. And actually, if you read what the Trump administration is saying, they're working on other things right now. They're not focused on offshore drilling. Um, so it's really not an issue that I think is going to get any real dialogue. Atlantic Coast yeah. Pipeline? We, that's got to happen. And so we're going to continue to work with folks to try and get those approvals and get that done. Having a diversified energy source, particularly for our manufacturing sectors, uh, we've got a couple pipelines now. We've got the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. We've got another pipeline coming down uh, towards the middle. We've got to have those approved so that our farmers and our agriculture sector and our manufacturing sector have a diversified energy source with natural gas to keep our, our energy costs competitive. So it's a priority. And what, what, Go ahead. I'm I was just saying, yeah. and pipelines and natural gas, I mean, it's, it, it was clean burning energy to the environmental community just a couple years ago, and now they're out there trying to kill natural gas pipelines. I'll tell you that natural gas drives economic growth. It sure does. And, um, and we've got to make sure that the states are positioned in a place where we can receive natural gas. And in a lot of ways, natural gas um, recovery um, across the country um, is, is very efficient. And it's the energy source that um, that drives industry right now, and we've got to make sure that we have enough to be able to continue to grow in our. Would you predict right. full? We've got about thirty seconds. Mm -hmm. Would you predict forward momentum on the pipeline before year end? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, that'll be the last word. Thank you, Gary. Nice to see you. Nice Welcome see to the you program. Too. Thank Come you. back. Thank you. Ted will tell you it's not bad. He's been here like a thousand times, and we like that. Thank you. Uh, good to see you, Ted. Yeah, good to see you. Happy too. New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you for watching our program. Till next week, I'm Chris William. Hope your week and your business is good. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.